Very good morning, and uh, it's so good to see all of you in the house of the Lord, worshipping the Lord together. It's always a privilege to uh, uh, worship with the Word together with you. Let's commit this time to the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit as we come to your Word in Scripture. In Jesus' name, Amen. Two weeks ago, Pastor Shen showed us how the church went through a process of God-centered discernment in Acts chapter 15 to understand what God was doing among the Gentiles, the non-Jews, to bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ without requiring them to be Jews, that is, without subject to the Jewish law. It was a critical moment in church history where the church leadership caught God's vision of what he was doing to bring Jews and Gentiles together in one family under Christ. The church had rightly discerned God's big vision of a single family of Jews and Gentiles in Christ. But in today's passage, we will also see the critical importance of discerning God's leading in the specifics of carrying out that mission. We will see that God not only gives the big picture of what he intends to do, but also in the specific details of how God wants his work to be carried out. A big idea for today then is that we need to discern and catch God's vision of how we are to live for Christ for our own time and generation. There are three ways in which we can discern and catch God's vision. Commitment, constraint and confirmation or conviction. First, we need to have commitment to the work of the gospel. The level of our commitment to Christ determines how much God can work in us and through us. In other words, commitment determines the level of our potential to continuously discern how God is working around us. Wholehearted commitment to an identity or mission helps clarify focus, priorities, and decision-making. Amazon, the e-commerce giant, has developed core leadership principles which they adhere to as an organization. Now, there are a few of them. I'll just mention two as an illustration. The first principle they adhere to is the intense focus on customers. They recognize that they need to be aware of what their competitors are doing, but they are laser-focused on how they can positively impact and retain their customers. The second principle is ownership. Amazon expects their leaders and teams to take ownership and responsibility over decisions and matters that affect the entire organization. They do not believe in the phrase, that's not my responsibility. So you can be sure that they are using these principles as a guide in their decision-making process for the organization. How does this decision benefit or impact the customer? Or how are their managers or teams taking ownership of the issue? Or whether they are trying to evade responsibility? Having commitment to core principles help clarify decisions and actions for the organizations or as individuals. 
Their thinking is clarified by their commitment to their core values. And so when they interview candidates for positions, Amazon would access whether a candidate demonstrates a high commitment or at least share the same leadership principles. For the Apostle Paul, his commitment to his Christ-given calling to bring the gospel to the nations was the one key guiding light in his life direction. After the events of Acts chapter 15, where the Jerusalem mother church endorsed the work of Paul and Barnabas, uh, Paul wanted to revisit all the towns where they had first preached the gospel to strengthen the believers there. Unfortunately, Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement whether to take a fellow worker named Mark with them. Mark had earlier abandoned them in their mission, and so Paul was opposed to bringing Mark back to their team for the next trip, while Barnabas wanted to give Mark the benefit of the doubt. Unable to reach agreement, they parted company. Barnabas took Mark with him to Cyprus, while Saul took Silas for his next missionary trip. Now, this must have been a bitter blow to both uh, Paul and Barnabas, especially given all that they had gone through together. For Paul, Barnabas was the one who stood by him and believed in him when Paul started to serve Christ. The church, for good reasons, was very suspicious or cautious about Paul given his reputation as a relentless persecutor of the church. But it was Barnabas who first extended the hand of fellowship to Paul and introduced him to the other apostles. They had partnered together during their first missionary trip to see how God worked his vision of transforming the Gentiles into his family through faith in Christ. They had encountered opposition together. They met with objections from within the Jewish church, and they had recently been vindicated in their mission work by the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. But now they sharply disagreed and broke from each other over the question of whether to trust Mark for their next mission trip. For Paul, it must have been a spiritual roller coaster. The ups and downs, the twists and turns, and now what have, must have been an emotionally upsetting break from his longtime companion and friend. Paul could have decided to take a break or to call off the missionary journey in a fit of frustration at the turn of events. Instead, Paul never wavered from his intense commitment to fulfill what God had called him to do. In Acts chapter 15, 41, we read that Paul set out to do precisely what God led him to do. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. Paul's sense of commitment would have made the decision clear for him to persevere in, a, in the face of setbacks and discouragement. His commitment must have clarified the options for him when the going got tough, when there was unjust criticism, outright opposition, all disheartening disagreements with close friends and companions. Now, we might be tempted to say, well, that was for Paul the Apostle, that was his calling, but I'm just an ordinary church member. 
but that will be a mistake. The church is made up of very imperfect, ordinary, everyday people. But each of us has an extraordinary calling in Christ. Paul would say in Romans chapter 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is your true and proper worship. The extraordinary calling for each believing disciple is to worship God and follow Christ. Worship involves our praise, our devotion, our trust in an awesome God. And to know this awesome eternal God in a personal, intimate relationship. It involves, like what we did this morning, songs, hymns, praise to express our worship. But it goes far beyond what we might come to think of our regular Sunday worship service. Actually, worship and service are the same word in the Greek. To worship God is to sacrificially serve God, to offer service in honour and worship of God. And Paul puts it, worship is to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. Fully surrendered, fully committed to God in every aspect of our daily lives. But we are a very imperfect people. How are we to properly worship and serve God as a living sacrifice? By believing and following Christ. Having the righteousness that is by faith and being transformed over a lifetime to become like Christ by the Holy Spirit. When we are committed to our calling to worship God and follow Christ, our thinking and decision-making are clarified. Our choices and priorities become clearer. We are transformed, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the next verse, are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Our minds are transformed by the Spirit away from the sin-infected attitudes and thought patterns to a mind focused and modeled on Christ. Paul would say earlier in the earlier chapters of Romans, like Romans chapter 8, verse 6, that a mind that is on the flesh leads to death. It cannot please God, but a mind that is renewed by the Spirit, as in here, is able to discern and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. A commitment to our calling in Christ to worship God and follow Christ helps us discern what God's will is. So whenever in doubt, go back to the heart of worship. Whenever you're faced with a critical decision or find yourself lost or disorientated in a world of uncertainty, go back to the heart of worship, of true worship. You could start with songs and praise that help you rediscover the awesome presence of God and His absolute trustworthiness. This is the God you worship. And then start to lay down every aspect of your life before Him. This is my life, Lord. I desire to worship and serve you by faith in Christ. We come to God for answers, 
That is correct. But start with looking to God. You are made to worship and know God intimately. And so if you ever lose your way in life, come back to worship God. And have your mind focus on this. I want to live my life in a way that expresses my utter devotion and service to God. Pray, Lord, I want to live my life in a way that expresses my utter devotion and service to you. And on that basis, we seek to discern, test, and know God's perfect will. You may have encountered unfair criticism, unjust opposition, hurtful words and actions as you tried to serve God. You have to take all that hurt and frustrations and leave it at the altar as you worship God. Determine that you will not let these things hinder your devotion to God. We sometimes carry our own selfish agenda, ambition, wrong motives in praying for God's will. We have to leave our agendas and selfishness behind as we turn to worship God and let God's abundant goodness, His good and pleasing and perfect will replace anything that holds us in bondage to sinful motives and ambitions. We could be living in fear and anxieties that paralyze us. Come back to the heart of worship. Dedicate your life to God. God takes a life surrendered to Him as a life of one of His very own children. He is a good Father. We belong to Him. Our worship brings a simple clarity in all our fearful dilemmas. God will take care of us. Our commitment to worship God and follow Christ helps us discern and catch God's vision his way forward, his coming breakthrough for ourselves, our lives, our families, our nation. So here's our first reflection question. What does commitment to Christ mean to you? How has it made a difference in your life?
Second, we discern God's will and vision by the constraint of the Holy Spirit. That is to say, the Holy Spirit convicts and constrains the believer. How do we feel when our plans get disrupted? When our intentions are blocked and restrained? Not very pleasant, I reckon. Disruptions can cause frustrations and uncertainty. Naturally, we want our well-laid plans and routines to be smooth sailing and stable. But studies have shown that disruptions and unfamiliar ground can be a catalyst for learning and innovation. Most innovations come about due to a problem, a crisis or a disruption. Economist and author Tim Harford cited, cites a study in, on the London subway, on London subway passengers, whose routines were disrupted a number of years ago when a strike shut down the London Metro subway for 48 hours. Two-thirds of the metro stations closed while a third stayed open. The public buses and overland trains were also still in operation. So how did the commuters, how did the passengers cope with the disruption? Well, their alternative routes could be tracked since they were all using this public, um, how do you call it, the, the smart card fare system to get around using public transport. And so here's the interesting thing that the researchers found later. First, you think that the passengers and everyday veteran commuters, they would have already figured out their best, most optimized route. They would have made those decisions through their everyday experience. Surely, a rationale commuter would have preferred the most efficient route to take to go to work or to school. But the strike disruption forced a lot of these commuters to find alternative routes and unfamiliar paths to work. The interesting thing was that when the strike ended, many of the commuters, tens of thousands of them, did not go back to their normal routines or their normal routes. Now, of course, most of the commuters did, but a substantial minority didn't. They had found much better ways to get to work that they didn't know before. They only found out because they were denied their routine commute. Paul and his companions were denied not once, but twice by the Holy Spirit to enter into regions as they traveled on their missionary journey. Now, bear in mind, they, they were not on a holiday, right? They, they were not doing this for leisure. They, were commit, they committed themselves to travel, to spread the gospel, come what may, because they believed that God had commissioned them. They could have in mind some agenda. They might have intended to make contacts in certain areas, but not told explicitly. We know that Paul wanted to revisit some of the churches he and Barnabas had established earlier, but it seems clear that Paul also hoped to break new ground in bringing the gospel to the Gentile world. It may have made sense to branch out to the immediate neighboring regions where Paul had first preached. But the plans and intentions that Paul might have had were not nearly as important as what God's plans and intentions were. And this is where the constraining influence of the Holy Spirit becomes important. The restraining hand of the Spirit in keeping Paul out of certain areas keeps him on track to where God wanted him to go. 
see whether we can see the map. Unfortunately, it's not so clear. But, uh, oh, and my, my face is blocking. Okay, good. So, uh, during the first missionary journey where, where Pastor Shen did cover with us, there was somebody in, somewhere in the middle here, Lystra, Debia, Derby, I'm sorry, and uh, Pisidian, Antioch. So, all this area in the center here was the first missionary journey. So, Paul wanted to go back to this region to strengthen the, the believers. Asia is just next to it, to the left. This would have been a natural um, neighboring area just to go uh, across and establish new churches here. But we're told explicitly, explicitly that the Spirit prevented Paul from doing that. So he probably went up north, skirted around Asia, and um, the top part is Bithynia. So as he went up north, they may have tried, they may have tried to go north to Bithynia, but the Spirit stop them. And so there was a two, you know, those of you, I'm, I'm sorry, but they, it's not very clear, but the, the province in Asia that the Spirit prevented Paul from going, if you have studied the book of Revelation, you know the seven churches of the Revelation were all there, Ephesus, uh, Laucidia, uh, and so on. And so this was actually fertile ground in time to come. This was fertile ground, fertile ground for the gospel, but the Spirit prevented Paul from going into this area um, because God had a specific destination for, Paul's, for Paul and his team. Paul may not have known why the Spirit prevented him access to certain areas. Very often, the most difficult decisions in our Christian life is to discern between good moral choices. We're not talking here about deciding between what is right and what is wrong in God's eyes. The choice would have been pretty obvious then. You don't need discernment, you just need obedience. But the difficulty is how do you discern when there are a number of good choices, good moral choices. Paul's plans to go into Asia and Bithynia were good decisions. His motivations and intentions were right in wanting to spread the gospel, but Paul still needed to discern and obey God's leading. Paul could not take it for granted that since his intentions and motivations were right, he could just make the decisions by default. In having God detect and disrupt Paul's own plans, Paul must have learned what we should all learn. God's plans and intentions are far greater than our own. We can't outthink God, right? We, we, we can't be smarter than Him. Even our most well-intentioned plans can be less than what God had intended or what God has in mind. Paul must have learned the secret of contentment in resting in the Lord's direction and provision. He learned to be open and adaptable to the Spirit's leading instead of sticking inflexibly to his own agenda and plans. How did Paul discern the restraining hand of the Spirit? We are not told the details in the Scripture passage. It could have come through a prophetic word or vision. 
It may have come through strong impressions received while Paul and his companions Silas and Timothy prayed over and discussed their options. But as Henry Blackaby says, that God spoke to people is far more important than how he spoke. Paul and his companions may have had a powerful revelation or a subtle conviction, but the most important thing is that they knew it was the Holy Spirit speaking to them. Our lives and plans have been all disrupted and upended over the past two years. Not because God intended to bring the pandemic, but we can see and, and testify that God is sovereign over and beyond the pandemic to bring His good purposes to fulfillment. Perhaps looking back, a lot of us may realize how God has opened our eyes to new possibilities of outreach we did not imagine new appreciation of relationships along with the challenges, new skills we were forced to pick up, areas of weakness that humble us, experiences of divine provision and comfort that build us and make us stronger, in a, even in the midst of hardship and loss. But if the pandemic has taught us anything, it is this, the absolute necessity to depend on God and to discern the Spirit's leading, including situations where He says no or not yet. The constraints that the Lord puts in place to restrain us are just as important as the convictions He provides to enable us when we strive to live faithfully for Christ. But it's important to realize that God's restraining hand is not to keep us passive or subdued, but to keep us on the right path that leads us to His appointed purpose for us. God may have prevented certain plans from being carried out, not because they were necessarily bad, but because, possibly because the time and conditions were not yet right. But we can trust God that He will lead us to the place where His good purposes and plans for us and through us will come to reach fulfillment. And so for our second reflection question, will you obey all that God commands you to do and also His commandments not to do certain things? What are areas that you would find hard to obey?
Third, we experience conviction as we receive God's vision. Conviction is the assurance of God's answer or continued leading. God's answer comes as confirmation when a specific direction or word is given. Or the Lord may assure us of His continued leading if the final answer is not yet given. For Paul, God's answer did come eventually. As mentioned earlier, the Spirit's restraining hand was not to keep Paul passive and subdued. Rather, the, Lord's, the Lord was leading Paul to the point where he would receive God's specific instruction on where he should go next. Earlier, we were not told how Paul knew the Spirit was restraining them from entering certain regions, but this time, we are told that Paul received a very specific vision as his group reached a town called Troas at the age of the Elgin Sea. In Acts chapter 16, verse 9, we read that during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. We next catch a glimpse of how Paul discerned God's will in uh, verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Notice, uh, Paul did not immediately conclude on his own that a vision must have been from God, although his conviction must have been very high that the Lord had indeed spoken. Instead, we, we see that Paul shared his vision with his companions. And as a group, they discerned and concluded together that God had called them to preach the gospel to the Macedonians. They were all ready to obey at once, but it seems clear that Paul's confirmation included, included the fact that his companions shared the same conviction that the vision was from God. But the key point here is that God's work is not random or routine. God is intentional about what is to be, what is to be accomplished. His, his work has a specific shape and direction. And so we must not be random or routine in how we carry out God's work. God's spirit knows and restrains to Paul had led precisely to this moment where he would receive God's Macedonian vision, a vision that will lead Paul to establish some of the most life-transforming churches in Macedonian cities of Philippi and Thessalonica. And that is over on the left. I won't bother to try to show you that, but it's towards the left of the screen, the upper part of the screen. Later, Paul will write letters to these churches, which we know today as the book of Philippians and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. These were remarkable churches that displayed incredible faith in the midst of persecutions and hardship. Paul would write about them in 2nd Corinthians chapter 8, about how they overflowed with spirit-inspired generosity and joy in the midst of extreme poverty and severe hardship the church in Philippi will become one of the key churches that supported Paul throughout his life and ministry. 
God's no's eventually lead to his incredible and perfect yes and amens in Christ as we learn to trust and obey him. Now, I believe God does guide us providentially in that he orchestrates events or circumstances beyond our knowledge or control so that we are led to encounter his work without us having consciously pursued a specific plan or word from the Lord. I do believe, however, we should consistently pursue the Lord's leading. The more we position ourselves to receive the Lord's leading in our lives, the better we will be able to discern, to hear from God through the Holy Spirit. Although there's much we don't know or can't control, the more we are keeping close to the Lord and waiting on Him, the better prepared we are to encounter God at work around us. What is God's Macedonian vision for His work in you and through you? What is His Macedonian vision of how He is working around you and your family? What's God's vision for your workplace or business? What is His vision for our church and our nation? Do we for a moment believe that God's plans are random and haphazard? Or can we come to faith and conviction that He is working for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose? We should not go through life on autopilot. Instead, take hold of what or how God is leading you to do to a greater level of commitment while trusting that God will guide you and lead you by constraining and convicting you so that in time you will come to see the breakthrough in God's work in you and around you. I wonder if we are ready to pray and commit our lives to the Lord in a way that expresses Romans chapter 12. I don't know, are you ready? I'd like to uh, invite you to, as a people of God, to pray together. There's no compulsion. Obviously, um, uh, Revelation says that um, Christ says, I, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens, he will come in. He's not going to bash in. So, you know, there's no constraint. There's no compulsion. But i like us to commit ourselves to the Lord and the Lord has spoken to you to pray in such a way that from this day you're able to live that life that's worthy of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to stand and if you are ready to, to uh, open your hearts to the Lord and uh, say this prayer together as God's people. I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to... to come before the Lord yourself and open your hearts in your own way to the Lord to devote your life to Him.
Lord, I want to live my life in a way that expresses my utter devotion and service to you alone. Father, we come with trembling hearts because we know ourselves. We know how weak we are. So many times, Lord, we lack the faith to commit. We think that once we commit, you will put us to things that we don't want to do, to go places we don't want to go. Forgive us for not trusting in you, that you are a perfectly good God. You will be with us wherever you send us, Lord. You will empower us with whatever you ask us to do. Because, God, you will not leave us or forsake us, but you have given us an extraordinary calling to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in a way that expresses worship, true worship to the one true and living God, that the watching world would see an expression of God's love and holiness by the way we live in a way that people will come to know the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we trembling hearts knowing that we are unworthy, but you are the one who makes us worthy. You are the one who takes away our sins and unrighteousness. We come by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and we want to say to you, Lord, we as a church, as families and as individuals, we want to live our lives in a way that expresses our utter devotion and service to you. And as we pray that, Lord, renew our minds that our minds will no longer be infected by our own selfishness, our own unrighteousness, our own ambitions. But the mind that is redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, a mind that is renewed by the Holy Spirit, so that we are able to think thoughts that are from you, Lord, so that we can discern and know your good perfect and pleasing will so that we can look to the future with confidence and not with fear because the mind of the Spirit will grant us the faith and the courage to know that you are with us as we live for the Lord Jesus Christ you will not let anything happen to us that is not outside your sovereign will Many things, Lord, we do not understand. We struggle to accept. But Father, we pray for that mind that is renewed by the Spirit so that we can receive your vision for our lives. Because we know, Lord, your vision, your sovereign word triumphs over all circumstances. Your word creates life out of death. Your word, Lord, 
creates hope out of hopelessness. Your word, Lord, makes all things new. And so, even as we commit ourselves to you, Lord, even as we bring our lives as a living sacrifice before you, Lord, we pray that you will make all things new in our lives. That whatever sin we have, we repent, Lord. Whatever ambition that is not of you, Lord, we repent, Lord. But Lord, we pray that your word will govern our lives and that your word that you work in our lives and through our lives, it will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish all that you will and desire for our lives and the lives around us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's remain standing. Let's respond with our closing song. Let us declare together.